name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, we included St. Moritz in the uh, Litany of Saints. Um, That's the name that you usually um, hear when the town named after him is mentioned, St. Moritz in Switzerland. It's also Maurice, too, but uh, uh, African uh, soldier, uh, convert, and um, all-around awesome man. So uh, today, there's alternate pronunciations for another saint, St. Eustace, um, which looks like mustache. Um, but in Italian, that's San Eustachio. So um, patron saint of hunters, favorite saint of coffee snobs, and uh, you know the drill. But most importantly, um, today is the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, and it happens to be September 15th, Our Lady of Sorrows. Uh, memorable, um, there are many dates that, many years, when I rem- recall um, this date, uh, most especially that first day of seminary, You've heard me mention it before. So September of 1993 in Washington, D.C., I was just beginning. I'd been in in, um, theological college for maybe a a few days, maybe two weeks, I think, perhaps by that time. And the Dominican House of Studies was next door, which is uh, wonderful. Had many good friends among the friars and had the shrine across the street, which was also a great blessing. Um, seminarians, you may know, are, are always being evaluated. They're under you know, close scrutiny. Um, they're supposed to have a member of the faculty who is their formation advisor, who meets with the seminarian monthly, who can use anything he knows and gleans from the seminarian, including conversations with the seminarian, in recommending to the faculty whether or not the seminarian should be promoted to the next year of formation, or eventually whether he should be approved for ordination. At the same time, there is a spiritual director. Seminarians can choose from a list of many priests at almost every seminary or any seminary I went to, there were at least pretty good, if not very good, priests who were available for spiritual direction. And as any good spiritual director will tell you, you can only have one spiritual director, right? Too many cooks spoil the pot. So one spiritual director, and as a seminarian, it has to come from this specific list of priests who were approved by the seminary They aren't necessarily all faculty. They may be um, parish priests nearby, religious priests not too far away. They go out of the the seminary, goes out of its way to offer you a variety of of kinds of priests, uh, religious, diocesan, extrovert, introvert, intellectual, not so intellectual um, to choose from. So there's... uh, another monthly relationship that the seminarian has to um, foster. 
and, and yet that is completely cordoned off and uh, confidential. That spiritual director is not allowed to weigh in on any matter uh, of governance over that seminarian, is not allowed to have anything to say to other faculty with regard to that specific seminarian. Uh, it's completely for the benefit of the seminarian. And um, so, so one's private, one's public. Um, and so when I started at Theological College, I was the first seminarian for the Diocese of Arlington to be sent there. Not the first priest who became an Arlington priest to have studied there, but since the diocese was established in 1974, no seminarian of the Diocese of Arlington had ever been there before. Uh, and so in my initial year, the, the bishop and the vocations director were very, um, very good to me. And they, they knew that it was um, um, potentially difficult. So the, uh, so the vocations director met with me secretly once a month. We'd get together at the cafeteria at the shrine, and he'd secretly catch, you know, have lunch with me to see how I was doing, make sure I, I was still Catholic, and to make sure that they weren't harassing me. And it was really great. And he even gave me permission to have a secret second spiritual director, which was completely, like if any, if, if any of you know seminaries or have read about seminaries, you know that's absolutely unheard of. So uh, it wasn't that bad of a year. I like to embellish it. Um, and there are many great fun stories of uh, getting into the fight with uh, uh, the establishment. Um, but I dedicated that year to Our Lady of Sorrows. It was at the Pieta side chapel at the shrine, maybe, I don't know, three, three side chapels in on the right, on the upper level. And uh, I just dedicated the year to her. And it was, uh, it, was, um, it was a marvelous year in many respects. There was a lot to offer up, but it was, it was a joy to be able to be part of the fight. So, um, and good came out of it, short-term and long-term. A, a lot of good came out of that. So, um, so pray, for, um, pray for everyone who is turning to Our Lady of Sorrows, whether it be because something difficult has happened or something difficult is uh, about to happen. And uh, eventually that will include each of us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. From St. Paul to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary one to another, so that you do not the things that you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are 
fornication, uncleanness, immodesty, luxury, idolatry, witchcrafts, enmities, contentions, emulations, wraths, quarrels, dissensions, sects, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I foretell you, as I have foretold to you, that they who do such things shall not obtain the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is charity, joy, peace, patience, benignity, goodness, longanimity, mildness, faith, modesty, continence, chastity. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified their flesh with the vices and concupiscences. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be made desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. And from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 24 to 33. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will sustain the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, be not solicitous for your life, what you shall eat, nor for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than the meat, and the body more than the raiment? Behold, the birds of the air, for they neither sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? And for raiment, why are you solicitous? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They labor not, neither do they spin. But I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was raised as one of these. And if the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow cast into the oven, God doth so clothe, how much more you, O you of little faith. Be not solicitous, therefore, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the heathens seek. For your Father knows that you have need of all these things. Seek ye therefore first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so ends the Holy Gospel. May I suggest that the gospel be understood in the following vein. If you worship God, you don't worship mammon. If you worship God, you don't have inordinate attachments. 
if you truly worship God, the evil is that St. Paul describes in the fifth chapter of the letter to the Galatians don't take place. If you genuinely worship God, then everything that's described as the fruit of the Spirit is characteristic of your life. Which means then, I'm suggesting that you regard what we are doing here as learning to worship God. Not just in uh, reverence and piety, but also in the, in the words that are supposed to spring from each of our hearts. That reveal the dispositions of our souls. We are learning what it means to worship God. We're getting better at worshiping God. And as we, as we genuinely worship God, which is n- not simply to render to him something that he is due, <clears throat> but to give him genuinely all your heart, your mind, your soul, That's what he is due. That's the first commandment. That's the greatest commandment. To the degree that those things are part of our life, we realize that we don't worship God very well or we don't worship him at all. The fruits of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit as confirmation interview season is already upon us. Cleanly can be distinguished. Gifts like wisdom. Not, you don't have to be wise in order to go to heaven. But you have to be modest, chaste. Reflect the joy of God. Peace. Be patient. Be good. Exercise continence, mildness. Those are characteristics of someone who is in the state of grace, whose, whose life is ordered to God. Those are not optional. That's the, consider the fruits of the Holy Spirit as an examination of conscience. But then connected to the reality that we can't worship God and mammon, these aren't... We shouldn't even regard them, though, as the goal. But rather, no, if, 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 we, are, if we genuinely worship God, um, these things are true of us. We shouldn't discourage people from coming to Sunday Mass because their lives are a wreck, because they're not worshiping God with their lives. But we should encourage them to join us because we're all trying to get better at worshiping God. We're all trying to get better at serving the Lord. We're all trying to get better at being faithful to him.
When we look at Our Lady of Sorrows, whether it be in the classic image of the Pieta or in other images or just in our own reflection on the Stations of the Cross and find ourselves in um, at moments of life when we similarly have suffered what we think can't be compared to anything except for her suffering. When we, when we feel like we've lost everything, there is clarity. There is clarity about what matters and what does not matter. What I am willing to give my attention at those moments and what does not deserve my attention. Whether it be junk mail or phone calls or business deals or football scores or anything else. When we're in those darkest moments, we want to hear nothing of those things that don't actually matter. And then we'll have a chance to re- be, have revealed to us what really matters to us, or who really matters to me, or who's, whose love really matters to me. And for some people, those, those moments of almost despair lead them into a deeper relationship with the Lord because he matters. He already matters somewhat. He already matters more than anything else. And now perhaps he's the only thing that matters. While for others, that, that moment is when what was some degree of worshiping God some degree of caring is reduced to nothing. Those moments when you think um, tragedy is about to strike, uh, your car is spinning on the beltway, or something like that is about to happen, that don't worry about what thoughts cross your mind at that moment. That is not an indicator of who you are really deep down inside. That's just your cerebral cortex either saying, I can't breathe, or oh my goodness, or worse than oh my goodness. Um, those are just moments when we're, we don't, we're not actually thinking, uh, we're uh, just thoughts are happening to us. But you know what I mean. When we're in grief, some things really matter. A few things really matter. Maybe nothing matters. Maybe my being happy is the only thing that matters. It reveals, that that reveals, do I worship God? Or 
how much do I worship God? How well do I worship God? So we turn to the Lord. And on your behalf, I'm going to ask that he make us not so content with how well we worship him and not so satisfied. But grateful that we have the opportunity to be taught frequently how to worship him well and that we and that we lend ourselves to his project of conforming us to those of creation angels and saints who worship God perfectly In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.